who is Theophilus and why is Luke writing to him? Today on the Midweek Move, we're going to discuss that and a whole lot more. Hello and welcome to Midweek Move, podcast extension of The Healing Place. This is a podcast where we examine the scriptures line by line, verse by verse, and ask ourselves, what is happening here? And today, ladies and gentlemen, we are returning to a table in 2024 uh, uh, <laughs> with uh, Pastor Scott. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. You know, there's uh, one podcast I think is a table of dim lighting. This yeah. is the table of bright lighting. It is very bright here. <laughs> yeah, so good. And I apologize ahead of time to everybody for my voice. It's just kind of where I'm living these days. So. Right. Uh, you'll uh, you'll have to forgive me for these uh, upcoming episodes. Well, you know, you're you're meant to be a voice. Doesn't mean you have to have one all the time. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're excited. Last week we had an intro to the Book of Luke, and we talked about how this is kind of a, uh, a return for us to the roots of the Midweek Move. Because, uh, as I said in our intro, Luke and Acts were kind of a pair. They came together. If you were to go to the modern day bookstore and to or if they had modern-day bookstores back then, you would get these two together. They'd be side-by-side, side, volume yeah. one, volume two. That's right. And uh, so we're kind of rewinding the track a little bit, getting into the book of Luke. And uh, just real quick, Pastor, uh, you had mentioned before we started that this is your chapter. This is <laughs> like you are excited about Luke chapter one, a kind of preview for us. Why, why is it such a passion for you? Yeah, this was one of my uh, very, very first intros into the Word of God oh, wow. ever in my whole entire life. Wow. Uh, Luke 1 was uh, a, a central uh, chapter um, after my salvation, mm-hmm. uh, hours after my salvation. <laughs> and uh, because um, when I gave my life to Jesus, one of the things that happened in that conversion, quote-unquote, experience, mm-hmm. and giving my life to Christ was I, I had this sense, and I didn't know anything about hearing from God or anything like that. I just was repenting and giving my life to Jesus and accepting his sacrifice that he had given and right. repenting for my sins and believing in my heart and confessing with my mouth. And in the midst of that, uh, I had a sense. At that time, I thought, well, this is just a sense, my sense, my mm. sixth sense. <laughs> that whole, you know, secularized right. New Ageism uh, is just kind of where I came from. And, right. and uh, But as I was giving my life to Christ, I kept hearing, well, hearing is relative too, because mm. you can say hearing with the ears, but it was more of just a hearing in my heart. Yeah. Um, John the Baptist. Now, I had <laughs> never read the Bible, so right. I didn't, I had no context. And mm-hmm. so, please... Like, go with me on this, because most people out there, you have a context of who John the Baptist is. I had no context mm-hmm. of anything, church, Bible, or anything. Right. And literally, it, it, uh, I'd literally, and this sounds so naive <laughs> and weird and crazy, but I went to my pastor after that happened, and I said, look, I don't know anything about anything, but who is this Baptist guy named John? <laughs> and he was like, what are you talking about? And I said... Well, you know, when I gave my life to Christ, da, 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 and I just heard this John the Baptist, and he was like, oh, no, 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 that's not a Baptist guy named John. And he took me to Luke 1 yeah. and said, hey, there's a guy that that paved the way for Jesus. He was a forerunner for Jesus, and um, and it starts here. And this was one of the first chapters in the entire Bible that I read as a new believer. That's awesome. And as I read it... <clears throat> I sensed as I read the words 
that what God had for my life and the calling mm -hmm. that he had upon my life was very similar to that of John the Baptist. I felt it. I, I, I really related to this guy, and I really related to the words about him that are mm -hmm. spoken to his father. Yeah. And, um, and so that has pretty much lived itself out to be true. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying I'm John the Baptist. I'm just saying <laughs> that, that, that the, the calling... And the mantle that was placed upon his life, I have felt that very strongly and mm. deeply in my life. And I've tried to do my very best to, to allow God to work that out in my life and to, to be that voice crying in the midst of the wilderness. And if you've known me for any <laughs> amount of time, you know that you're going to hear that terminology at some point in our conversation about not being an echo, right? but being, being a, a voice. Being a voice, that's right. <laughs> so uh, I am very excited about this, but it also um, literally takes me back to my roots. Yeah. Uh, not just at the table of bright lighting, <laughs> but, uh, but just the, the, the roots of my salvation. And in, in, um, in about two and a half months, uh, you know, it will, be, um, it will be 30 years yeah. of salvation. Wow. And um, so all this is kind of <laughs> fitting in a really weird time space, almost like a time space continuum. <laughs> but uh, it's it's awesome. I love it. Yeah, I love it. I love hearing the story. I love hearing stories about people when they first get saved and they first get into the scriptures. Some people they're like they're when they become older, they're almost like you know, ah, it's kind of embarrassing. You know, I thought John was a Baptist guy or something like <laughs> that. You know. Uh, I love the the purity of those stories. I share the story all the time about I didn't know how to read my Bible to the point where I guess watch cartoons, there'd be some TV show on and they had a little clock on the bottom, wait for cartoons to start, and it was like five thirty five, cool cartoons start at six six o'clock. I'd kind of fall asleep, five forty five. Uh, or progress and get closer to six, and I fall back asleep. All of a sudden it said two thirteen. I'm like, what's happening? That time travel or something? It it was like Kenneth Copeland or something like that. Some and they were Bible verses down there. I didn't know that was a, wasn't a, a clock. <laughs> But that's the that's why we do what we do here is because there is such honest purity and people going I just need to know yeah I just need to understand what the scriptures say and this book right here I think is perfect for people who are new to the faith as mm -hmm. a whole because for again I mentioned that most of our audience that were they're Gentiles they're people who um, weren't they're not Jewish they have no context of it and Luke does a great job of explaining the uh, the Jewish Savior to a Gentile audience to help them understand what is taking place in high detail. So uh, we're going to jump into it starting here in, uh, in verses 1 through 4. Pastor, are you, are you, is your voice strong enough for this? Or? I think I'm good to go. All right. We'll give it a go. <laughs> Inasmuch as many had taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which had been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered mm. them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account. Man, this is really, this is um, really important, especially with Luke's background, what mm -hmm. he does, um, his profession, quote unquote. Right. It makes a lot of sense the way that Luke writes, knowing yeah. what he did. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and it says to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, mm. which again, when you start at Acts, it's to Theophilus again, right. reminding him of what he wrote before. Right reminding him of what Jesus said, like, uh, so good, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you are instructed. Now, if you are my fifth grade English teacher, you are having a heart attack with these first four verses because it is a massive 
run on sentence. <laughs> like there's no periods at all within this whole thing until you get to the end of verse four. But this is on purpose. One of my favorite sentences. <laughs> Just an ongoing sentence. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. Ellipsis. <laughs> Never ends. No periods. So, but this is a interesting conversation. Um, this shows kind of the Greekness of of Luke, it shows his, his education level, because this is a common way that uh, writers would open up a discourse, a, a prose, and it was kind of a way of like uh, a, a preface of going, hey, um, this is why I'm qualified to talk about this, this is why what I'm writing is accurate, this is why you should trust what I'm saying here. And so this kind of gives us a, a look at Luke um, professionally, as you kind of mentioned, but just the quality of what we're about to read here. Yep. And it also lays out the fact, I want to point this out, he's saying that he's putting this in orderly fashion. He's not suggesting that there are other accounts that aren't good. Right. By this point, pop, likely the book of Mark was out in, in circulation, and he's probably seen the book of Mark. Um, he's like the searching Mark or any other ones. He's just saying, look, I, I've done the research. I've put the work in. I need to present this to you, Theophilus, in an orderly fashion. I'm not just going to throw you just random stuff. This is something you can trust that has been put together for you. Not totally unlike other authors who would preface things. Yes. Paul would even preface like how he was about to approach them. Mm. So I'm going to approach you from a theological exactly. law because I know it. I was raised in it. Mm -hmm. I'm more learned than maybe all of you. Right. Or, no, 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 I'm coming from a bond servant. Mm. I'm coming from a servant mentality. I'm just here to serve you, yeah. not coming as this... Mm -hmm. super highly educated guy. Even Peter would come in a certain way mm -hmm. of letting people know, here's how this is coming to you. So it's not, uh, again, it's not specific unto Luke, but mm -hmm. it helps us to understand why Luke is saying this. Exactly. Now, uh, this whole thing about Theophilus, we talked about how Acts is addressed to Theophilus. And we talked about this when we covered the book of Acts, which, by the way, if you go to our, the playlist on YouTube, you can have the whole conversation there. We don't By the way, that book of Acts study was awesome. It was great. It was amazing. People <laughs> still going back to that one, man. It was good. So in speaking of Acts, complete side note, here at the Healing Place. I was going to say it too. <laughs> we just started a, a church-wide Bible study. That's right. Our Bible reading plan in the book of Acts. And so if you're like, hey, I need help understanding it, check out the playlist. I just read that yesterday, the very first part of uh -huh. Acts to Theophilus. And I thought about Luke chapter one. I was like, man, this is crazy. We did not actually we plan that. We didn't plan this at all. We did not plan that at all, man. I thought that was really cool. It all just collided. But like, like we said, we don't know who Theophilus is. Some suggest maybe it's a standing name for the general body of Christ. Mm. But the attachment of the honorific that's there, the most excellent Theophilus, suggests yep. this is more likely, this is a real person yep. who is high of authority, who is some sort of official. Now, there's some questions about to whether or not maybe he was a, a Gentile leader who's like, I need to know about this Jesus guy that I'm hearing about. Um, I'm hearing these weird rumors that perhaps... Maybe he wasn't actually a person, or I'm hearing these kind of these Gnostic beliefs, or I just need to understand, period. And so he contracted Luke to do that. Or perhaps, and this is one of the things that I've literally just recently found out, uh, possibly this there was a legal reason that in this time frame, um, Luke possibly was trying to Theophilus, going, hey, look, let me help you understand how these Christians are still part of this Jewish organization. They're the extension of the Jewish faith, which would add to the reasoning why there's so many conversations about the Jewishness of Jesus and explaining Jewish theology, explaining Jewish customs throughout the entirety of the book of Luke and even into the book of Acts. And so there's some interesting uh, back and forth with that conversation there. Yeah, I would, I would probably fall 
lessened that camp mm -hmm. because of the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. Because the way that Luke lays out the book of Acts, it doesn't seem like that form would be to someone mm -hmm. like that. It, it seems more of a, um, again, the Acts of the Apostles. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not necessarily, it's the same author, same pattern, mm -hmm. but content is completely different from the book of Luke to Acts. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, for me, I'm, I'm kind of like, mm, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I get that. One author's talked about some of the same stuff to it. And the one thing they talked about is the, uh, when you get to Acts, you have the issues with the Sanhedrin and uh, not Sanhedrin, but the, the organizations, the, the leaders as a whole and the, the apostles dealing with them. And he said, you know, that's kind of why they kind of fell off. They're like, well, maybe it's not this legal conversation. At the same time, it could be helping to explain why there is kind of this tension between the Jewish believer or the Jewish Christians and the Jews period. And so it's a really interesting conversation. Well, and the fact that Luke really does go into detail, especially in the, uh, the aspects of healing through the ministry of Jesus, yeah. but then also in the book of Acts, mm -hmm. it's not just about, you know, the the expansion of the church, but there is details given oh, yeah. of healings and different things taking place. Lame man at the gate is a perfect example oh, yeah. of the authorship of Luke because there's five, some say even seven words in uh, three, four with the lame man at the gate, different words mm -hmm. that mean healing. Yeah. Therapuo, mm -hmm. which is like therapy. And then right. you go to sozo and all those different words make so much sense <laughs> with Luke being the author, man. Oh, it's yeah. like, you can't yeah. really jump he away. He brings out medical terminology. That's right. The entirety of everything he does. Because again, the, the, the thought, the conversation is that he's a very, he's a scholar a doctor and a Gentile who believes in Jesus. And he brings all that to the table. And the fact of a doctor and a physician being witness to these things mm. had to blow his mind. He's, oh, yeah. He's a Gentile. You got to think it out. You, this is this is philosophy. This is thought. This isn't mm -hmm. this isn't Jewish mysticism. Mm -hmm. This is we've got to have an answer. One, two, three, four. And I'm a physician. One, two, three, four. Right. There's an ailment. There needs to be yeah. a, there needs to be a, a treatment for that. And yet these people are being healed miraculously. Right. To me, the fact that Luke writes it down in a, not in an arrogant fashion, but in a very humble fashion, mm -hmm. I feel like even as he's writing, he has to be like, man, I can't believe I saw this. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm he's supposed with, to he's be with going. Paul while Paul's getting bit by a snake, and he's just like, "That happened." <laughs> That's right. Like, I have no, I have no logical explanation. Where's my kit so I can fix it? It's yeah. like, no, he's it's healed. Just done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. All right. Well, let's continue on. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was the daughters of Aaron. Man, that is key there. It's so key, mm -hmm. daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. So much so, Luke chapter 1 being a part of my life, that Elizabeth Rose Etheridge mm. was named after Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. I legitimately did not know that. She was, I learned something new today, Elizabeth. Her middle name came from, uh, from, a, from, from a dear friend that we had, Rose. But her first name came from this verse right here. That's fascinating. I had no idea. Gift from God. Cool. That's right. I love that. All right. Well, starting here, 
up through the end of the, the chapter, Luke adjusts his writing style from the classical Greek that we saw at the opening to a more Semitic uh, style that mirrors the Greek Old Testament. Uh, the Septuagint, specifically, was what, that's what we call the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, which was the Septuagint was uh, rabbis came together like, we have to translate this ancient Hebraic text into something that everyone can read in this modern age. Modern age being, you know, BC, <laughs> you know? So in these two verses, uh, we see uh, he gives us uh, a time frame of events, roughly 37 to 4 BC. And at the same time, uh, it's uh, grounds, it grounds this narrative in a very Jewish environment that's taking place. So a question for you, pastors, why is he so intentional about grounding this in a Jewish environment? Well, I think we're probably going to get into it here in maybe a verse or two. Mm -hmm. But the story is not Gentile. Mm -hmm. It's very Jewish. Right. And what's happening in this in real time is very Jewish. Mm -hmm. And so to take that away from it would actually be to remove the reality of the situation, mm -hmm. which is what a lot of translators tried to do with the Jewish context, even changing the, the names mm -hmm. of people in the Bible to a more Greek-friendly name. Mm -hmm. uh, we know this with, with names like Joshua. We know this with names like Jude mm -hmm. being, no, not Judah. Let's make it Jude. Mm -hmm. You know, that whole, that whole terminology. And so uh, for Luke... Again, one thing about him, although he's saying, okay, I'm writing it this way, and this is where I come from, and here's the story I know, and here's what I know, and I'm going to give you the facts, I'm going to do all this. In order to do that, he has to stay true mm -hmm. to it. And to for him to have, whether we want to call it sterilize this or to make it more Gentile, would have really removed the power mm -hmm. of the background of what these people are dealing with. Right. Because what they're dealing with is... Well, we'll get into that, I guess, in a second. <laughs> no, you're right, but like the you you hit it on the head, like on the head right there. This is a Jewish story, and if we remove that, we won't understand fully. And that's the thing is, he's helping the reader, Theophilus, and whoever else understand the the gravitas of this what's taking place, the story of Jesus. And you have to bring that into this, this uh, in this Jewish world. But what I love about it is that. Throughout this, he does go back and forth between this this uh, very Semitic Greek style, our Jewish style, to a more traditional Greek style throughout his writing. And what I love is that it shows that there can be a balance. I feel like there's some people that they hyper, like, it's super Jewish. And then, like, all of a sudden they're wearing tallits and, and not eating pork. And it's like, you weren't raised in that. You're just kind of putting yourself under a law. To so the people who just, like, ah, we don't care about the Jews. I'm like, oh, you can't do that either. Yeah. There's a balance, and Luke does a great balancing act throughout the entirety as he presents the story of Jesus. Yep, absolutely. All right, verse 7, but they had no child. Mm. Now this is, again, we hear that in our day, and we're like, oh, that's normal. Mm. Like right now, especially in America, you know, people are having children later and later and later, mm -hmm. um, and some choosing not to have children at all. Yeah. But to say they had no child brings up, because Elizabeth was barren, mm. and they were both well advanced in years. So they're old, mm -hmm. they're barren, but yet they're both from a priestly lineage. Mm. So to be old and barren, the woman would have been looked upon as cursed. Yeah. 
but for the woman to be of the Aaronic priesthood and to be barren Mm -hmm. would have been the ultimate shame. It's almost as if, um, you know, you think about someone in society, you know, who is supposed to carry this torch and be the highest of high society and think of whatever you think should be built into that structure to say they are qualified to be that. Mm -hmm. Remove that from them. Mm -hmm. And then they're not just like everybody else. They're worse because they're their position is supposed to put them here, right. but because something is missing from their own life, mm. now they're worse than the worst. Yeah. And so here you have these, these older people, barren, but from the priesthood. And you have, again, not only a priestly line, but the priestly line, right. the Aaronic priesthood. Right. And then you have a husband who is in the priesthood doing the duties of the priests. Right. And this would have been, um, I, I don't think we even have a, we don't even have a parallel today, I don't think. Mm-mm. I think the closest parallel we could have is like pastors of a church who who may have adult children who are not living for the Lord mm-hmm. and maybe have had a really sh- hard struggle and maybe the church or the body looks at them and goes, oh, how can you preach this to everybody else and your own kids aren't? Like people can be so brutal. Mm. And people can be so unloving and unkind and unforgiving. Yeah. And we think that our culture today is hard. That culture? Oh, it's much worse. Oh, I'm, <laughs> I mean harsh. And this is, this is something I'm jumping on a soapbox about right now. Mm-hmm. We are so unforgiving of generations before us mm. because we think we're so enlightened that we would have made a different decision than they made then. Nope. We wouldn't have. No. People can look back to... 1930s Germany and the Christians and the people in Germany and go, how could you? How could you? You have no idea when when 80% of your adult men died in the First World War mm-hmm. and 10% of them came back maimed mm. and you have a fatherless generation. Yeah. How in the world? They're just trying to survive. Yeah. They're not trying to be plugged into everything that's going on in the world. They're just trying to survive in their little unit. And for us to think that somehow, oh, well, I would have done this. I, no, you wouldn't have. Mm-mm. You wouldn't have. And, and for us to, be, to look back to this time frame, to see these two people who, who are righteous before the Lord, it's clear. Mm-hmm. They're righteous before the Lord. They're good people. They, they pray. They give alms. They they give their service to the Lord, and yet they are a scourge. They're looked at as a scourge. Even when Zacharias is going to the priest and, and to do his duty, he had to be looked upon as less than everyone else mm-hmm. because they were barren. Right. And so I, I, I think that, again, I think it goes back to Luke not changing the narrative at all to mm-hmm. make it more palatable mm-hmm. for the audience yeah. and the hearer and the reader. Right. But but really laying that out. Those words were put in there for a reason. Yeah. The word barren was there for a reason. Well advanced in age. The fact that he could have just said that Elizabeth was Elizabeth and Zacharias was a Zacharias, but he said they are from the priesthood. Those are very, very intentional statements put in there by Luke. Exactly. Exactly. And this is the, again, this is the reason why we People, they read this story, they kind of blow through it, and they miss these small details. That's why we do this word-for-word thought process. That's right. Because now this is a much more dynamic story. (laughs) 
now we have a hurting couple who's shamed in, co- in, in society. And here in a minute, we're about to see a miraculous thing take place to a shamed family. So uh, let's, let's continue on, Pastor. All right, verse 8 and 9. So it was that while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Okay, so here we see Zechariah's um, division was chosen for service. Now, we need to explain some things because, again, this is, this is different for us. We don't, we're, we don't have this happening. Uh, when, within the priesthood, there are 24 divisions. Uh, this was a was kind of patterned after what was set forth in First Chronicles, mm-hmm. uh, chapter twenty three, when David organized the Levites in the first place. Now, when we went to Babylon, when or when they went to Babylon, went to captivity, things kind of just got scattered. So this is they're not exactly the same, but they're kind of put together as best they could. Now these groups weren't um, as they they did this though. Uh, they served in the temple for one week. Twice a year. That was the assignment for each division. One week, twice a year. What makes Zechariah serving as a priest, though, so special in the situation, Pastor? Well, one thing, you know, we point out is that this is not something he was doing every week. It's mm-hmm. not something that was taken for granted. Mm-hmm. It was very special. Like you said, it, it for him, it may have been one of the duties that he did once every eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, once every 10 years, for some maybe once in a lifetime. Yeah. This is not something that, that was just uh, a throw-in. Mm-hmm. This is something that was taken very seriously. Right. This isn't just, hey, I'm going to church on Sunday morning, I'm going to preach a message, it's going to be awesome, it's going to be great, it's going to be beautiful, <laughs> I'm going to get to pray for people, and man, we're going to come back next week and we're going to do it all over right. again. Man, we're going to come Wednesday night and we're going to do it all. No, 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 this was this was a different deal. And, and so... What makes him serving as a priest in this specific scenario is that here is someone who's giving their service to the Lord, Mm -hmm. sacrificing this service to the Lord, praying before the Lord, being righteous before the Lord, and yet still left wanting. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that adds the layer to the story is he is a priest. Mm -hmm. That, to me, that's what makes it so special. You you probably got a couple more thoughts, but to me, because of the way this is about to play out, had it not been a priest, mm-hmm. had it been a guy and his wife is barren, yeah, okay, they're looked upon that way. Mm-hmm. But God has not heard your prayer, man. Yeah, God's not listening to you. Right. Like here you are about to come in to do this special burning of incense before the Lord, and yet the Lord hasn't even heard you. Mm-hmm. And I th- and I think. And I think in our current culture where somebody could look at a pastor and go, hey, how can you believe for that? That hasn't even happened for you. Mm-hmm. Like God hasn't even heard you. Yeah. Like you're preaching about healing, but God's not even healed your body. Like yeah. I've had to I've had to deal with that this week. Yeah. You know, I'm just like <laughs> believing for healing and praying for healing for people. And it's like, dude, you're not even healed yourself. Like how? Right. And it's like, well, just because I'm a messenger of God, it doesn't mean that I'm impervious to struggle and, and doubt and fear and anxiety and a sense of being left wanting. Mm. We're all equal at the cross. Yeah. And so I, I think that, again, I'm not sure if that's what you were asking <laughs> or wanting, right. but that, that's just my thought process. Yeah. I mean, it, it plays into it. Um, you know, you, you said this in front end, this is not a normal thing you did as in this, in, uh, in this era, this was likely, 
uh, a lot of scholarships, this was a once, literally once in a lifetime event for him going into it. And here he is going into this. This is his one chance to do it. Um, you can't miss up. They're yep. tying a rope around his ankle just in case he does mess up to drag him out. Yeah, that's a good point. You're not you're not going in uh, expeditiously. You're not yeah. you're not just rushing into that because this is a very serious serious yeah. thing. And he's walking in with this heavy burden of going, "I'm cursed already by God." That's right. I have no children. God has not heard our prayers. I don't know what I've done wrong. I don't know what my parents did wrong to put me and my wife in this situation. And now I'm going in the crosshairs. <laughs> now I'm walking to this place to make sacrifice for the entirety of my people, carrying this burden. Like, this is a heavy situation. This isn't just a light. <laughs> like, you, you mentioned, like, it's not like, you know, Sunday morning, you're coming in, you do a sermon, you go out, ah, I didn't do too well this, this week. I'll, you know, workshop some stuff, do it better next week. You know, he doesn't get that opportunity. Oh. And here he is, again, in his mindset. Culture has cursed him. God has cursed him. And now he's before the holy God himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and now one more layer of pressure. If you could read verse 10, sir. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. So in addition to everything, everyone's outside watching him. <laughs> waiting. <laughs> That's right, waiting. So not only is he performing his duty, this is literally uh, the once-in-a-lifetime thing, he's got a crowd watching. They're going, hey, we're already looking at you because you're you uh, you're clearly not a great person because you don't have children and because of these situations, but don't mess this up for us. Yeah, but I also think that you know they're praying outside, mm -hmm. even for him. Mm. And some, and again, this is all speculation. Sure, some could have been like, "Man, no child, they're barren. God hasn't hurt him. He's not coming out of there." Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like he's not coming out of there. Um, what is what is God going to do to him? What is going to happen? But one thing that we haven't approached is that historically we don't really have a record of that kind of that four hundred years, mm. you know, four hundred plus or maybe under four hundred years of quote unquote silence from heaven. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No angelic visitation. No words from the Lord. Mm -hmm. Prophets aren't running around everybody saying, thus saith the Lord. There's been this dark period. Right. And so this period they're living in is dark. It's very dark. Mm -hmm. And I think we forget that when we read this part of it. Mm -hmm. Because when Christ is announced to Mary, it's a dark period of time. Mm -hmm. When Christ is announced to Joseph through the angel, it's a dark period of time. Yeah. There's a hopeless nature that's fallen on the earth, mm -hmm. and especially in this area in which they are. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a time of rulership. It's a time of violence. It's a time of, of, of man-made uh, ownership and rulership of humanity. Yeah. And yet God has maybe forsaken us, mm. not just Zacharias and Elizabeth, but a people. Yeah. And so when we think to that, we're like, Man, like this is this is heavy, <laughs> heavy, heavy stuff, man. Yeah. And these people are outside, and some are maybe praying like, 
man, this may be the moment that the light shines in the darkness. This may be the moment that God has a word. Mm. This may be a moment where, where hope springs eternal once again. And what we will find out later mm. in Luke is the, the prophecy that Zacharias gives. He uses specific language mm-hmm. that is hope, light coming to darkness, day spring mm. has sprung among us. Like, it's all very um, hopeless and not hopeful. Right. But the Lord is about to show up in a very interesting way and bring hope. But yet at the same time, it seems like disappointed hopelessness Mm. because of the answer to the prayer. Yeah. It's not what he wanted. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Well, with that, uh, we're going to leave today's episode here in uh, anticipation, much like the people. We're going to give it space to breathe. That's been my, what's it's kind of been my thing lately. What's the vocabulary? Selah. It's going to be the Selah until next week. Uh, but we want to hear from you guys. How has this challenged you? How are you looking at this maybe just a little bit differently than you did before? Let us know. Reach out to us, uh, uh, mediahub at teachbeachreport.com, or you can find us on Facebook. Look for Midweek Move. And I really want to invite you guys, if you are in the Shreveport, Bossier area, come hang out with us at the Healing Place, 8957 Kingston Road. We would love to pray with you, encourage you, help you take your next steps with God. And on top of that, be part of our uh, our Bible study, our, our Bible reading plan through the book of Acts, through teachbeachreport.com. Until next time, have a great week.